0: Cheer the troops whenever they're going and murdering people in some foreign country that never did anything to us, or when the police go in and shoot up people. We're supposed to cheer that.
1: Welcome to the Lions of Liberty Podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. folks, welcome back to the Lions of Liberty podcast. I've got a big show and a big guest here today on episode number 79. Before I get to today's guest, I want to take a second to let you know about Health Excellence Select, an amazing alternative to Obamacare, which utilizes health sharing to cover your medical costs. Your fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not to some massive crony insurance company. To learn more, head to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is someone whose name will certainly be familiar to many of my listeners. He's been a prominent figure in the liberty movement for quite some time. He was Ron Paul's Congressional Chief of Staff from 1978 to 1982. He is the founder and chairman of the Ludwig von Mises Institute. He is the founder and editor of LouRockwell.com, as well as the author of many books, including his latest, Against the State, an Anarcho-Capitalist Manifesto. Lou Rockwell, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Hi, Mark. Great to be with you. Well, Lou, it's great to have you on the show. And I I always start off the show by asking my guests how they first began to develop their political ideas, how they evolved. And many of my past guests have mentioned Lou Rockwell and lourockwell.com as being one of those influences in regards to the shaping of their political views. So, Lou, as someone who has influenced so many others, why don't you tell us just how your own political views began to take shape?
0: Well, I would have to credit my dad. My dad was a Taft Republican. And in fact, my first, I don't know, political or ideological memory is as a little boy is pinning a Taft for president button on my coat. So this was a bit way back in the 1950s in the big fight between Taft, who represented the libertarian, non-interventionist wing of the Republican Party, and as versus Eisenhower, represented the establishment wing. And Eisenhower, with the help of Earl Warren, which is why he became chief justice of the United States, stole the nomination. Politics is a crooked business, right? So one can hardly be surprised. But my dad was a man of the old right, and uh, he introduced me to many of the great, the great writers and, and great uh, thinking of that movement. Uh, this was the, we want to call it the conservative movement. Not, it wasn't really the conservative movement. It was the, pre, the pre-conservative uh, right-wing movement. And uh, so I, I, I was really well uh, set up from the beginning. I was uh, sort of ideologically oriented. From very early age, I, I can remember in the in the seventh grade, and this is long before the '64 Civil Rights Act. I, I remember being uh, I went to a very liberal school, and the and the uh, teacher telling us about why it was important to have something like a public accommodations uh, law. And I can remember saying, and I didn't have an argument, but I I can remember saying, it just seems to me wrong. If somebody owns a restaurant, maybe we don't agree with their choices, but why shouldn't they be able to either accept or reject?" Any customers they wanted to, no one, you know, had a right to go in the store. I mean, I just it didn't seem to me that it was the right thing, and I was uh, uh, roundly denounced for for having that view. I would be today too, of course.
1: Absolutely, (laughs) the mere suggestion that property owners should be able to choose who goes in and out of their either their house or their business often inspires anger on every side, whether it's based on race, religion. Whether it's based on if someone has vaccines, there are so many issues, but it, it seems to get so confused because no one looks at it through that lens of private property.
0: And yet that's the basic way to look at everything libertarian. Murray Rothbard will always point out that uh, individual rights are really property rights. Well, we have a right to our, our, our body and, the, and the, uh, to our person and to the products of our labor um, so that there is no such thing, for example, as a right to free speech. You don't have a right to go in the next-door neighbor's yard and give a speech. You know, there is no right to free speech. However, there's a right to free speech on your own property or on property that you might contract or get permission to use of, of somebody else or uh, to broadcast on the, on the internet. That's a right. So it, it, everything is a property right, properly understood, and that's the, the basis of liberty and it's the basis of, of human civilization for that matter.
1: Lou, can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think a lot of people might hear that soundbite, that there is no right to free speech soundbite, and they'll go, oh my god, this Rockwell guy, he's against free speech. He doesn't want people to say what they believe. And obviously, you are for free speech. But I think, again, it comes back to when you look through, some, through that lens of private property, you don't really see kind of what saying everyone deserves the right to free speech is. Now, people always tend to bring up this example of yelling fire in the movie theater. But again, that's kind of an issue of property rights. You can't yell fire in the movie theater because the movie theater isn't going to let you in the movie Theater is going to you know, bar you from, the, from their establishment and that kind of thing. So what, what does it really mean when you say you don't have a right to free speech? Obviously, you don't mean the government should stop people from speaking politically.
0: No, no. And, of course, you, you know, if you write, again, on your own property, you can, make a, uh, you can uh, say what you want in your house. You can say what you want in your business, although, of course, uh, you're you, you not actually allowed to say what you want in your business because there are many restrictions. If you rent a hall, you're allowed to give a speech. Uh, if you own a newspaper or, or a website – you can, uh, of course, say what you want, and I, I obviously believe that society is improved by massive amounts of free of speech. I think people uh, telling us what their ideas are, trying to persuade us, I think that's all very wonderful. But uh, you, there's not a disembodied right to free speech. You, it it has to be it's always connected to property rights, either your own property or property that you contract or are given by somebody else. And this is this is true across the board. There is no right to. You know, there's no right to a free press. You have to own the paper or the website or the newsletter or you know or, or whatever whatever else it is. Everything has to be concretized in terms of private property that again extends from the property that we have in our own persons, and then in the fruits of our labor and uh, of trade with others. Uh, this is where this. So um, I think just we always have to be sometimes careful about the notion of rights. Uh, just in, in general, I mean, the UN has a lot of rights, you know, right to a vacation, uh, and and <laughs> the right to a re, you know a large retirement pension and that sort of thing. A lot of what's called rights are, of course, just ridiculous to a libertarian, not not rights at all. But again, everything, quoting Rothbard here, everything has to be concretized in terms of private property. That is the way to understand our actual rights. That's to understand what we as people. Can do and can't do. So, yes, we, we can't uh, – if there's no fire in the theater, we can't shed fire. The the owner would be very upset to have us arrested or whatever and rightly so for causing uh, tremendous damage. So, no, you don't, you don't have that right. Uh, I guess you can go in your own basement and yell fire if you want to. Uh, but that's your property. That's why.
1: Now, you mentioned Rothbard and, of course, you're referring to Murray Rothbard, the uh, very influential libertarian philosopher and economist – and I know you are influenced him to the point that yourself and many others over at LRC, at lewrockwell.com, will even refer to yourselves as Rothbardians to kind of refer to your brand of libertarianism. So why don't you tell us a little bit more? I mean, I know you knew him personally. How did Murray Rothbard really influence you? And, and why do you think that that name is so important or what he, I guess, what he accomplished is so important?
0: Well, gosh, you know, any, uh, first of all, I'd say if anybody hasn't read Murray Rothbard, do yourself a huge favor and read Rothbard. I mean he is the most extraordinary writer, the most extraordinary persuasive writer. Uh, Read, for example, his great essay on the anatomy of the state. Uh, Your life will be changed. It will change your life. It will change the way you look at everything politically or uh, governmentally more broadly. He was so persuasive, so clear, so eloquent, uh, just nothing like the typical academic. I mean he just was a, a tremendous writer. Then on top of that, he was a genius. Uh, He was uh, uh, the man who really created modern libertarianism by bringing together Austrian economics and American anarchism of the 19th century and his own achievements in in, uh, what he called anarcho-capitalism to differentiate it from the so-called anarchism of the left, the the, uh, Spanish anarchists, the Russian anarchists who uh, were most importantly uh, opposed to all private property. Uh, and, of course, so it wasn't anarchy at all because they they wanted to prevent people from owning or using private property. So Rothbard was a tremendous teacher. He was a professor. He was the author of 26 books, thousands and thousands of articles. He was uh, a tremendous orator. There's a lot of him on YouTube, and uh, those are also great things to look at. But his work in economics, and, uh, he was a great American historian. He was a philosopher, um, he just was—he was a polymath. He was one of these people who I've only known a few in my—a few of them in my life. Been lucky enough to know a few of them who really seemed to know everything. You could—you could talk to him. He knew everything. So he was just uh, an extraordinary man, a very sweet guy, a very uh, open and accessible guy, not at all arrogant, uh, very welcoming of of students or uh, anybody who was interested in liberty. He was just thrilled to talk to them it uh, didn't matter that uh, you didn't come up to his level. A very, very few human beings would come up to his level. Uh, but he was—I always think of uh, sort of the opposite of, of his treatment of students and of of young people and of uh, uh, newbies. Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman, the uh, brilliant guy, and and uh, I think he had many flaws as an economist and otherwise. But he sure was an arrogant guy. I mean, he was. And he thought nothing of really crushing. If somebody asked what he thought was a stupid question or beneath him or whatever, he would just crush them. That was not Rothbard. It wasn't Mises, by the way, either. Rothbard, uh, uh, just a sweet and, uh, and a normal guy, very funny guy. He was like a stand-up comedian. You weren't in his presence for more than a minute or two before you're laughing out loud. He was just very, very funny, uh, so knowledgeable, so dedicated, so principled. One of the points that Austrian economists, say the the mainstream or say Milton Friedman, uh, they see uh, man as homo economicus, as economic man only concerned with money. Uh, And of course money is a great thing. Uh, Improving yourself economically is a wonderful thing. It's very good for human civilization as as well as for yourself. But as Mises said and it was certainly true of himself and true of Rothbard, people have other motivations. So Rothbard uh, wanted to tell the truth. He wanted to speak the truth he wanted to write the truth and uh it it didn't do him any good from a career standpoint he could have uh you know been he could have had the nobel prize he could have been a uh, professor at harvard or whatever and it he he never had any of those things and he didn't even regret those things because he knew he'd made a choice to um talk about the 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 importance of freedom in in our history in our economics in uh in political philosophy and uh because he was such an extraordinary writer, he's he's a much bigger figure actually today than during his lifetime. Uh, he's read all over the world; translated into so many different languages. I, I hear from people almost every day so excited. Uh, it's, it's amazing how many books of his have been published in Chinese in 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 uh, what's you know allegedly communist China. Well, if they're publishing Rothbard, they're not communists. But anyway, they he's just he's the pied piper of liberty and. As I say, if you're not familiar with him, pick up anything. Uh, his, his monograph on the anatomy of the state, uh, his writings on money, on uh, his great magnum opus, Man, Economy, and State, uh, sort of, all of economic, a treatise on all of economics, his four-volume uh, history of uh, pre-constitutional America, conceived in liberty, his history of thought, tragically truncated uh, because of his death, supposed to be three volumes all the way from the ancient Greeks, And the ancient Chinese were the first libertarians up through, you know, the current period. And tragically, it it, it ended with Marx because he never got to to write the third volume. And when I talked to his widow, Joey Rothbard, uh, after his death, and she had me go through his office in Las Vegas where his final teaching assignment had been at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And I said, uh, there are a lot of notes and things. And I said, Joey, uh, I'm afraid I know the answer to this, but there wasn't, like a draft of the third volume of his history of thought or uh, maybe uh, notes he'd made for it. And she said, no, she said he'd he'd written the third volume, but it was all in his head. (laughs) And Murray's the only guy I've ever known who was capable of typing out a scholarly paper, footnotes and bibliography included, all out of his head.
1: Well, yeah, I think when you have a mind that's constantly working and constantly thinking about things I mean I'm not trying to compare myself to Rothbard at all by the way but I I think I'm always writing articles in my head or or kind of conducting my next podcast yes. interview in my head when you're that that's passionate fair. about something you're always thinking about it there's not a moment when I don't try to relate something to how can I you know how can I spread the ideas of liberty better how can I express these things better so it's it's totally makes sense to me that, that somebody like, like Murray Rothbard would plan a whole book out in his head just kind of as he goes along like that something you mentioned earlier when you're talking about milton Friedman and how his approach kind of differed from rothbard and that he would sort of just try to crush his opponent and i think that's an an important point that so many seems like a lot of libertarians out there uh, when you when you see debates on facebook or on the internet or even in real life maybe over a drink at the bar so many people just seem to want to sort of crush their opponent just prove that they're right but i, I don't think that really wins people over ever especially i mean even if you are in the right Nobody likes to uh, you know, be told they're wrong and, and just have things shoved down their throat. They need to be convinced, and there, there are so many different ways we can do that. And obviously, um, LewRockwell.com, as I said at the top of the show, so many of my guests have mentioned LewRockwell.com as a, a major influence, so it's undeniable that you and your site have been very influential to many people. So what do you say would be the secret to your success? Why do you think that LewRockwell.com has stood out so much among all the all the other various websites, blogs, and everything else out there? Why do you think so many people cite LewRockwell.com? As an influential source.
0: Well, I think part of it is because um, we sort of stick to uh, you know a central set of principles of, of uh, radical libertarianism. Also, um, you know, aim for serious thinking, but that's that's accessible to the average guy, the uh, person who's interested in libertarianism, but maybe doesn't have a formal education in economics or history or political philosophy but can still learn a lot from these articles and direct you to other kinds of reading. Also I think we have we – have, uh, we go outside of strict libertarianism too in interesting historical articles or uh, health-related articles. Uh, I would tie them all into libertarianism in the sense that uh, the health-related articles would take the uh, opposing view of the, of the government food pyramid for example. Uh, since I tend to think the government's wrong about everything right they're lying about the food pyramid as well as uh the wars they're starting and and uh the taxes they're raising and all and, and all the rest so i think it's i think it's because it's serious libertarianism that's accessible to um the interested the smart interested person who's not maybe thought about these things before, and I have a lot of people who tell me well they maybe read an article and then maybe a year later they they uh Are thinking about it, and they come to well, maybe that was right, and so they want to read more. So that's you know, I'd love to uh, have a hand in planting seeds like that in people's minds. And I hope that the site is interesting with those serious articles, but also was maybe more fun and and, um, uh, applied articles to your own life. And there's also, I think, an interesting blog. Um, I'm glad that a lot of people are interested in what I'm interested in. I mean, that's basically the site is what I'm interested in. So um, I'm just thrilled that. You know, people do also find it interesting.
1: Yeah, I think planting seeds is is almost the most we can do sometimes because you're not gonna you're not gonna change someone's entire worldview overnight with one article necessarily. Maybe some articles will have that kind of lasting effect, but in general, people's views kind of change over time. And I just try to always put out the truth or what I, at least what I believe to be the truth out there and and declare what's right or what I feel to be right. But you, you can't expect that the next morning you're going to wake up and everybody that listened to you or read your article is going to go, you know what, Mark, I agree with everything you just said. You're absolutely right. You, we just had to kind of plant those seeds, put things out there, be as principled as we possibly be, and then hope that it does you know, catch the interest of other people as well.
0: No, and as you, you know we, we all know people who sort of grab you by the lapels, at least metaphorically speaking, and want to convince you of something and want to, you know, want to leave you alone until you hear their whole story. That's not the way to convince people. So you just have to sort of put the hors d'oeuvres out, and you hope somebody takes something and finds it interesting. And some, you know, and, and that happens. Not everybody is interested in what's there, and not everybody is interested in everything that's there. Uh, but enough people are to uh, maybe change some minds. And of course, that's what you're, the business you're in. That's the business I'm in.
1: Now, Lou, the title of your latest book is "Against the State." An Anarcho-Capitalist Manifesto. And, and I know there's a lot of people listening right now that are probably very familiar with the terms with anarcho-capitalism, with anarchy, but I know I have a lot of listeners that are, are really new to a lot of this stuff. So why don't you just try to explain in the most layman terms, I guess, possible, why are you against the state as you describe it in this book? And, and what exactly is anarcho-capitalism?
0: Well, I can put this in, in the most simple terms, and uh, it's, it's the idea that it is never morally legitimate to use violence or the threat of violence against the innocent. Now when I say that, virtually everybody will say, well, I, I agree with that. But in fact, well, of course, most people don't agree with it because they do think that, for example, taxation is justified, uh, that it's you know perfectly okay for agents of the regime to come and tell you what part of their property you have the right to take. They have the right to take from you. Uh, and. So, But again, that that is the basis of, of anarcho-capitalism, again, that, that a voluntary society, that w- while you can use violence uh, to repel violence, if somebody – if a home invader is coming to your house and breaking down your door, you have the right to use violence to repel that invasion. But you may not ever use violence or the threat of violence against somebody who's just living their life and not doing anything to you. Uh, so um, – but the government of course is about only aggression that's all the government ever does if you look at the bottom of the uh you know the uh, parking ticket or library fine or whatever uh they claim the right to uh jail you maybe even kill you if you sufficiently resist doing what they want you to do that is um, pay this parking ticket um so it's that's that's that The government is only about aggression. It's only about violence. Everything they do is a gun pointed at your head and uh, I would say the libertarian view is you only have the right to use a gun in self-defense. You do not have the right to put a gun at somebody's head and tell them, give me your house, uh, give me your property, uh, go to work for me, uh, obey me, run your business in this particular way, run your, your community in this particular way, your church, what, whatever. So again, government is nothing but aggression, violence. Murray Rothbard described it as a as a gang of thieves writ large at the state. So anarcho-capitalism says things should be voluntary uh and uh again you're only allowed to use violence to repel violence or to punish violence uh in a private court system. But otherwise every everything is everything is voluntary. Uh, Leonard Reed had a book uh, called "Anything That Anything That's Voluntary." Well, that's that's he was not an anarcho capitalist but I mean, that's that's the idea. Anything that's voluntary uh, is okay. Anything that's involuntary, if it's aggressive, uh, this is what Murray Rothbard called, you know, the non-aggression principle—that you're never allowed to initiate violence or the threat of violence against the innocent. Um, so, everything government, however, is the opposite of that. So, uh, anarcho-capitalists would argue that uh, this is the free market uh, expanded, that, that uh, uh, we don't need a government military, take a controversial thing, certainly so, you not know, government police, you don't need government uh, TSA, you don't need the government post office, all these things are huge uh, drains on the economy, huge tax on, uh, on, on human autonomy and uh, uh, voluntariness. Uh, and that it's the more that the state grows, uh, we're seeing this, of course, in our own country now at horrendous speed. The less and less is the uh, is the area of free choice, and uh, more and more the order, you know, people ordering you around. Think of how the think of the the airport a perfect example of the way the state would like all of society to operate. Get in line. You have to salute them. Uh, one day, if you look them in the eye, maybe that's dangerous. If the other day you don't look them in the eye, that's dangerous and they can interrogate you and so forth. And uh, you have to say, yes, sir, and take off your shoes and take off your belt and obey all their orders. Let them uh, feel you up and uh, and all <laughs> all the rest of the thing, horrible things that go on to airports. But because it's the government, we sort of take it, take it for granted or we take it for granted that there are 50,000 people a year killed on the government roads and nobody thinks anybody's to blame for that. And yet if some private company had designed that system and there were 50,000 people being killed a year on it, darn right we would all want to look into it and say what the heck is happening and who's responsible for this. So government, uh, you know, how many millions of people has the US government killed in its career of wars and and, and other kinds of depredations? Many millions of people, innocent people murdered uh, and yet we're supposed to salute them, uh, kiss their flag, uh, do what they say, uh, think that they're morally better than us by the way. In the private sector, we're just involved in our nasty, brutish, uh, selfish little uh, profit-seeking motives. Too bad we're not like the government where they're concerned with the public good, the common good, the national defense and all the rest of the baloney that they, that they put out. So you have to sort of turn everything on its head and realize these people are the criminals. Uh, they are the opponents of civilization. They're the opponents of prosperity. They're opponents of decency, of, of – uh, Any kind of normal and wonderful human livelihood, they're the opponents of it. And as you notice right now, uh, uh, the amount of control they're taking is increasing by the day uh, uh, so that, uh, of course, we have, uh, as I've written about uh, otherwise, we live in a fascist system today. Probably the first fascist American president was FDR, Franklin Roosevelt. But today we live in a, a society which is basically a corporate state, a fascist state. Uh, it's a combination of big business and big government uh against the rest of us worship of the military worship of the cops uh abolition of of uh, civil liberties and the uh, uh demonization of the other uh muslims or whoever whoever they're hating at the moment um, this is this is uh no different from the fascist regimes of the 1930s in, in many different ways not in every way thank god yet maybe yet uh, but in, uh, in many other ways. So we, we live in sort of the opposite of a libertarian society. On the other hand, I think more and more people are getting interested in our ideas, um, especially young people. I think more and more young people realize they're being lied to by the media, by the public schools, by a lot of times what they hear in colleges and universities. and So they have to learn on their own. That's why uh, it's so important if you're interested in the ideas of liberty, you have to read, 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 read every book you can. Uh, there are many great reading lists. Take a look at the books that uh, Mises sells. Uh, take a look at any of the bibliographies on lewrockwell.com. There's a lot to read, uh, but it's so important that you educate yourself, that you, uh, that you learn about the ideals of freedom. You learn about who the enemies of freedom are. And I think there's all over the world, there's a lot of great stuff going on. Also, like since the beginning of the human race, a lot of bad stuff going on. So this is the battle that's always taken place. Uh, but those of us who have, like you, Mark, who have the, the privilege of uh, fighting for these views, fighting for the cause of liberty and prosperity and, and human flourishing. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, so I think, uh, you know, Rothbard always said he was a short-term short pessimist, a long-term optimist. And I think that's, that's the correct view. It's tough to be a opti- short-term uh, optimist these days. But in the long run, will capitalism win? Will freedom win? We, after all, do have the truth on our side. Uh, and the other guys— uh, you know Mordor and uh, uh, all all its all the freaks working for it are are a pretty scary bunch, but uh, they don't have the truth on their side, and they don't have obviously the the well being of the human race on their side. Uh, so Murray always felt that they would eventually be defeated, and uh, I think he was right.
1: Now, Lou, when you describe all the terrible things that government is doing nowadays, and I'm certainly with you every step of the way, uh, especially when we talk about the TSA, I've been felt up at the airport. I know what it's like, and it's no fun, and it's really terrible. It's terrible when anyone, whether it's a government or uh, just an individual, uses coercion on their fellow man. And obviously, our modern governments are doing that at a massive scale with the fascist nature of the economy Uh, with the war on drugs, with the aggressive wars. And I think uh, most people are going to be with you every step of the way. Well, maybe not most people, but (laughs) at least most people that are sort of libertarian-leaning anyway – But I think a lot of people kind of get stuck when you say something like, which you mentioned in the book a few times, you say, the state is by nature evil. And I'm wondering if you can expand on that a little bit, because just to me, from my point of view, a state is no different than, say, a corporation or something like that, in the sense that it is a man-made creation. It's something that men created. So how can something that is a construct of man have a nature or have an evil nature? I mean, if a state, a government, or a corporation is formed by man, it's going to be whatever man makes of it. And obviously when we have a government that's coercive... nature it taxes coercively it kind of pulls people under its scope coercively that's something we need to detest no matter what we want to call it but i mean are you against i guess you you kind of equate government and that concept with the state so do you think those are the same thing i mean is the very concept of government something that's evil just as you say the state is evil or because to me if it's if say i don't know i'm a private property owner and i have a lot of land and i've got 50 neighbors next to me and they own their plot of land legitimately and we all get together and we say well we want to have a common system of law. We want to have a system where we have courts, we have police, we have that kind of thing. We have formed this through our private property. We're not coercing anybody else into that. Do, are you against something like that? Would you no, would you classify no, that not. as 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 what you describe the state as, or would you see that as as different?
0: Well, you know the different the basic difference between say a corporation and the state is corporations all voluntary. Uh, I'm not talking about government subsidies and that sort of thing, but I'm talking about the, uh, the sort of the ideal corporation. Um, I don't actually, you know. BMW is a corporation. I don't have to buy a BMW. BMW is not going to come to my house and put a gun in my head and force me to buy a BMW. Although I would like, you know, BMW is a great automobile. Um, government always operates by coercion. They they decide they take other people's property in, in an act that we would call theft if we were in the private sector. They they claim the right to draft people, uh, kidnapping. We call it in the private sector.
1: I guess what I mean is, does it always have to do that? I mean, like I said, even just the example I Well, then it's not
0: the state. But I would say maybe we, we, there's something very important that we can call governance. So uh, and there has to be governance in a company, governance in a church, government in a ho- governance in a home, uh, in the Boy Scouts, in uh, uh, maybe a community association. People get together to try to achieve common goals. That's essential to the human race, and it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. But if, if at, the, uh, at the homeowners meeting, one guy takes out an AK-47, he says, "Now you're all going to do what I'm saying. I'm, I'm the president. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we would all think, wait a minute, you know, that's not the right thing. So then he's trying to become a state. So the state is, again, an operation based on violence, using violence, threatening violence against the innocent. So if you don't have that, then it's not a state. So then, of course, you know anything goes in terms of of uh, uh, private private property in a, in a in a in an anarchist society. If you had people who wanted to form a uh, a community where they would say that um, everybody has to go to church or nobody's allowed to go to church, whatever whatever the rule would be, I don't think this sort of thing would happen too much. But let's say people did that. That's you know, and you're signing on to do it. You know, that's that's. That's private people's business. What private people want to do on their of their own volition, whether you know you or I agree with it or not, that's their own business. However, if they then decide to make war on the next little village because they want their money and they want their uh, uh, their people and they want the the wealth of the community, uh, that's an evil. That's uh, war is an evil. It's an it's an act of aggression, uh, and it's again using violence, killing people, and so forth. … in order to achieve somebody's aim. So if there's no aggression involved, if there's no initiation of violence or the threat of violence involved, then of course people in a free society are free to make the arrangements they want. And uh, I, I think the word diverse is misused these days but you'd have a wonderful diversity. So you'd have – you might have uh, uh, you know some place that was very straight-laced, another place that might be sort of Greenwich Village or whatever. More power to all of them, whatever whatever they want. However, um they had to allow you and me to do what we want to. Uh as long as it's based on our own property. We don't have the right to do something on their property. Um, so it's it's uh um, this the state that is yes, is an evil. I know that uh, states have existed for most of human history uh in most of the m- most of human territory, not always. Uh so it's 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 a great thing. I mean, it's uh um as earlier libertarians pointed out there you know a number of ways to get wealth you can you can earn wealth, you can inherit wealth um, or you can steal somebody else 's wealth well the the people who get together and want to steal everybody else 's wealth that 's the government, so that kind of conduct we don 't want it 's uncivilized it 's immoral uh, it violates every every uh, stricture of human morality of every ever every religion properly considered as opposed to what the government is doing. Um, but, of course, the government worships itself. I always think they look back they must look back to ancient egypt as the great great time when the government was actually God. I mean, the Pharaoh was actually God, so if you were if you were disobeying the government, not paying your taxes or whatever uh, you were you were blaspheming against god so that's that 's the way they want us to think. They want us to think of themselves as holy uh, and uh, you know salute, give the pledge of allegiance, uh, love the flag and uh, uh, cheer the troops whenever they're going and murdering people in some foreign country that never did anything to us, or when the police go in and shoot up people, uh, we're supposed to cheer that? You know. I, I, think, I, I think not. So I, I think that uh, uh, libertarians look at things from a very different perspective. I think it's why we have moral power and um, it's why I think we're a growing movement, uh, especially among the young, because we do, we do have a, a moral way of looking at things. Uh, we don't believe in lying. We don't believe in in uh, taxing, stealing. Uh, we don't believe in going and killing people on mass. And 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 also, you know, another basic libertarian principle is none of us is above the moral law. So what's wrong, Mark, for you and me in our private lives, doesn't become right because somebody's wearing a government suit, or because somebody's a government employee. If murder is wrong for you and me, it's wrong for the government. If theft is wrong for you and me, it's wrong for the government. Uh, go down all the list of the various uh, criminalities of the feds and the state governments and the local governments. They're all criminal enterprises. And uh, I, 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 can't, I mentioned before Murray Rothbard's Anatomy of the State. This is a short uh, essay. You can uh, – it's up free online at uh, lourockwell.com. You can buy a physical copy from – uh, Mises.org. Uh, you'll never feel the same way about government again if you read this. Of course, many many great books to read. Whether it's uh, you know our, our, our enemy, the state, Nock, and uh, just going on the list of all the great libertarian classics. But this this uh, monograph of, of Murray's is life changing, and really it explains far better than I could uh, what is wrong with the state, where it comes from, uh, and why we don't need it, and why indeed it's our It's our duty uh, as human beings to fight against it.
1: Now, Lou, I've got just a couple more questions. But first, I need to take a minute to give a little love to our sponsors at my Academy of Health Excellence and their product, Health Excellence Select. Now, until last year, I was just like you guys. I saw my health insurance costs double and my deductibles skyrocket thanks to the Obamacare health insurance mandates. Determined not to participate in this corporatist scheme, I sought an alternative and found out about health sharing, a fantastic concept in which your monthly fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not into the pockets of some crony capitalist fat cat. Health Excellence Select combines health sharing with a patient care personal assistant, 24-7 phone access to board-certified physicians, and discounts on dental, vision, and other benefits. The best part is that for most people, plans with Health Excellence Select are much more affordable than Obamacare insurance. And it meets the legal mandate, so you will not be fined for using it in lieu of insurance. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. So, Lou, one thing I want to touch on is is my concern with anarchism. Not my concern with anarchism in the way you lay it out, because I think we're probably exactly agreed upon in principle on, on how a society should be, on the private property society. But my concern is that just um, kind of always being against the state and against everything government does is that people will sort of be turned away from politics. And, you know, I I know you say politics is a dirty game, and it certainly is the way we have it nowadays, but there are freedoms that can be and have been won through politics, such as, you know, the marijuana legalization movement is just one, one example we've seen in the last 20, 30 years. And here in California, we recently passed Prop 47, which is, you know, reducing uh, a lot of drug crimes down from a felony to a misdemeanor. It's going to see a lot of people freed from a cage that have done nothing to harm anybody else. Uh, it's stuff like that where I never want to say, "Well, no, you shouldn't be involved with government. You shouldn't be. You should be an anarchist." I want to say, "You know, you should have principle," and I want to teach people that about those principles, about individual rights, because I want these people to be more involved with government. I, I want more Ron Pauls in the world. I want people that are back out there fighting against the people that are doing such harm, that are passing such terrible laws, that are creating all this coercion and the first place, because to me the state is not really a separate entity that I'm, I'm trying to battle with a sword. The state, in many ways, is, is my next door neighbor. You know, it's, it's my neighbor who agrees with the drug laws, or or my family who might agree with coercive taxation and that kind of thing. So, what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, your family, I hope, is not actually taking your money.
1: Yeah, my family's not force. that bad. I just use them as an no, example. no. I mean, so no. I mean,
0: yes. Of course, we most people. This is why there are public schools. This is why there's such a vast media. Uh, operation to le- legitimize the government, to legitimize and, in fact, make you admire conduct that in any other area of life you'd be horrified by. So that's yeah. There's there's. Uh, I'm not I'm not a big fan of, of politics, as you know. Uh, I think the fact that there's been one Ron Paul in 200 years doesn't give me a lot of confidence about elected officials outside of Ron Paul. But um, I, I think if you want to, you know, to work for legalization of marijuana. Uh, or in early years, the legalization of alcohol. Uh, and I would argue, by the way, that both those things are happening because the government wants the money. Uh, Bob Higgs made this point about the end of prohibition. Here was a tax at a time when municipalities and states were all going out of business in the in the Great Depression. And here was a tax that everybody not only was willing to pay, but was anxious to pay. They would be gladly pay an alcohol tax to get trustworthy booze as versus something made by uh, in, in secret by by uh, somebody you didn't really know anything about you'd far rather have something from you know from a Canadian Club or <laughs> whatever than from Joe's Club
1: Sure, because when the government pushes things to the black market, when it prohibits trade in certain items, now you've got to go to the black market where you don't really have that same kind of certification that you might be able to get when things are out in the open. You can't, you know, you can't resolve disputes if you, have, if you go to a drug dealer on, on the street corner. It might be tough to, to resolve a dispute with him if, if you don't really like the product and that kind of thing.
0: You know, so thank goodness, of course, things are being opened up uh, in terms of people being released from jail. We have, as you know, the United States is the, is the prison capital of the world. We have more people prison here than any other country in the world by quite a margin it's, it's, uh, the prisons are vicious uh, Chris Hedges who had a, a wonderful article on this recently talked about how the prisons are actually designed to make people commit suicide and there are huge, they don't ever talk about this, huge numbers of suicides in American prisons. These things are these places are Are uh, you mentioned they're cages, they are cages but they're so inhumane So, and they're run by people of course who enjoy torturing others. So anything we can do to less than the number of people in prison is, 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 is a great thing, and especially for uh, the non-crime of smoking a joint.
1: Sure, and it's, it's even worse than just being put in a cage in many ways because in, in a large way, our prisons, America's prison industrial complex, I talked about this with Ben Swan the other week, it's essentially a slave labor factory. I mean, you pass all these laws That's right. where, that which are designed clearly to just herd people into the system, and they're actually working and doing work for I think most prisoners, he said, make about $28 a month working, essentially, for major corporations in America producing their products. Meanwhile, you have people calling for a minimum wage that is like two hours worth would get them a month pay that a prisoner gets. So, when people call for minimum wage, I want to point them right to those prisons and say, how about these guys? How about these guys that are literally slaving away for all these corporations? It's just a terrible thing. Um, just talking about the black markets for a little bit, that brings up um, something that's been in the news lately or at least libertarian news. I don't know if mainstream news talks about it that much. Um, uh, but that's the trial of Ross Ulbricht and how he was recently convicted for forming the Silk Road, which was a basically an online encrypted website where people could exchange any items. I think what was highly exchanged there were narcotics, and um, he was recently convicted on uh, some scary charges. They're scary because of the, I think, the precedence it sets for what people can be convicted for, for for starting a website. Uh, But what I really want to know is I, I see a lot of libertarians out there hailing Ross Ulbricht as a hero for creating this black market system. Do you consider Ross Ulbricht a hero for creating this black market, for creating the Silk Road?
0: Well, he was a businessman, an underground businessman. I would say that uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of heroic businessmen. I don't know enough about Russ Albrook to know whether he's personally a hero, but should he be, should he be convicted and put in jail for what I think is, a, uh, for victimless crimes? No, I, I don't think so, of course. I think that, uh, uh, very unfortunate, this whole trial was a kangaroo court, like a star chamber. My favorite example was when the judge uh, chastised the prosecution for not objecting enough to the defense testimony. And so she said, I'm going to, uh, all the places where they should have objected and they didn't, I'm going to rule this testimony uh, cannot be considered and has to be out of the record.
1: Almost like she's coaching them along the way uh, instead of being impartial.
0: Well, it was just, you know, I mean, it was it, it, it's all. So Ross Ulberg wanted to. He's a very smart guy, uh, I think a physicist. Um, uh, but it's, you know, he I don't know I have always felt so bad because I remember he gave an interview to Forbes uh, where he sort of. Um, stuck his finger in the eye of the FBI. He said, ah, they're not going to be able to get me. And I thought, oh, I wish, <laughs> well, I wish he hadn't done that.
1: Yeah, you don't want to poke it, the bear.
0: No, I, th- I think. Uh, um, and of course, also, a lot of people thought that Bitcoin was anonymous. Bitcoin is not anonymous. Uh, there were a lot of people were fooled into thinking that it was an anonymous method of transaction.
1: Would you consider yourself a Bitcoin skeptic as well? Then, because I mean, I think uh, the the big thing promoted about Bitcoin from a lot of people is that it's anonymity. But here we see Ross Ulbricht essentially being caught because of Bitcoin, and I, I believe I don't know the details as well, but I think the the Silk Road two point founder was also um, caught with his bitcoins.
0: Yeah, and I, uh, I'm uh, Bitcoin's a business, and I'm all for every business. Sure, I, I'm, I'm, I hope that they're successful and profitable, uh, and I like the idea of, of um, means of transferring money that, uh, you know, that are cheaper than the, than the sort of establishment means. Whether it's something that's going to change the world, and I, I know there are people who say many things about Bitcoin that uh, I've yet to be convinced of, but I hope, I hope it's successful. I hope it does all the things they hope. I don't think it's money, uh, but is it possible it might become money at some point? I, I, I think that's right, but um, the government doesn't like competition. They don't like, uh, uh, they like the dollar and they don't like anybody using anything but dollars. So, um, I, I, But again, I think a lot of people were fooled. They were told it was anonymous, that you're in the blockchain forever. I mean, it's not actually anonymous. It can be pseudonymous, but it's not anonymous. You know, we live in a police state. We don't live in a free country. So um, you just have to be so careful about, you know again, something like poor Ross Ulbricht. I think he was a libertarian and interested in Austrian economics and, and, and all that sort of thing. But if you live in a police state, you know, you got to be very careful, and I, I think it's always a mistake to sort of directly challenge the state—not intellectually, but in any other sense. Um, they're all killers. They're happy to put you in prison. They're happy to torture you. Uh, they're happy to execute you. They're happy to machine gun you and bomb you and and all the various things they they so much enjoy doing. So I think you know, violence is the state's. MO, and I think, you know, not that Ross Ulbricht used violence because he didn't. And I, I noticed that originally the government said, well, he, he tried to uh, hire hitmen to kill people. And then they said, we're going to say this in the court, but we're not actually going to bring the charge. And the judge said, that's okay. Well, normally, of course, you're not allowed to just bring up assertions uh, without uh, being able to prove them. But again, the government, and we see this in very few f- fair trials, especially in the federal system, virtually everybody is convicted a uh, very tiny percentage of people are not convicted of, of – uh, in federal court and of course the prosecution just like in the Soviet Union or other systems like that, prosecution always wins. So poor Ulbricht, um, I, I fear, is going to go to prison for the rest of his life and it's going to be in some horrible supermax thing and they're going to want to – they, they want to kill him. They want to destroy him. If they could execute him, they would. So they're just going to ruin his life and uh, ruin the lives of his family and it's a ter- it's a, you know it's a terrible thing but on the other hand if you're going to do something like silk road you have to be seems to be very very aware of of the risk you're taking and um these days with the NSA and uh, all the spying that that goes on something else we could talk about you know there's very little anonymity um and they and they don't like bitcoin they're really going after from a regulatory standpoint and a tax standpoint bitcoin I have some Bitcoin. I hope they go up in value, which has not been the case recently, as you know. They've been plummeting in value. But I hope the business is successful. Um, I hope nobody tries to copy Russ Holbrook, however.
1: I guess that's my concern when people call him a hero. I don't think he's necessarily a hero or not a hero. I think he just, you know, he created a black market and in a society where so many people are still in favor of making drugs illegal and and that's reflected in government, I think that it's just, it's a very dangerous thing to do Something that will likely find people winding up in jail. So that's my concern when I hear people say he's a hero. I'm concerned it will inspire more people to do what he did, which is not, you know, necessarily a terrible thing from a moral standpoint. I don't think there's anything wrong with creating a market and allowing people to freely exchange, but it's, it's really pushing that agorism strategy, which I know even Murray Rothbard was opposed to agorism as a specific strategy because it pushes things underground. Where Whereas from my point of view, we need to bring things above ground. We need to focus on trying to legalize drugs. We need to focus That's on right. not putting people in jail and changing people's minds. And until we change people's minds about things and about how we should interact with our fellow man, we're going to keep seeing people like Ross Ulbricht and People on a much smaller level, people that just own a little bit of a plant or a little bit of a substance, winding up in jail, winding up in this prison industrial complex. So I'm glad there are people like us out there talking out against this stuff and, and trying to get it to change. Lou, I won't keep you any longer. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm glad you—I uh, really appreciate you staying on with me a little bit longer than we planned and, and talking about some of this stuff because I think it's really important. And uh, before I let you go, I just want to give you a chance to plug anything else you got going on, let everybody know where they can find all the work you're doing, all your writing, the various websites, uh, as well as your book, and anything else you got in the works.
0: Well, mises.org, m-i-s-e-s.org. If you're interested in economics and uh, uh, and a whole range of, of commentary and analysis from very serious economic works to uh, um, more easily read articles on the horrible things the government is doing to us from an economic standpoint, uh, many hundreds of books, videos, audios, uh, uh, articles. Just it's a it's like a huge library, thousands of of books, and it's just. A tremendous resource, and it's all for free. Uh, of course, we appreciate donations, but you don't have to make a donation. Everything there is f- is for free. Also, take a look at LouRockwell.com. Uh, it's a very different site than Mises.org, but there's a huge archive of uh, great articles there too, and uh, everything is for free. If you're interested in libertarianism, both of these sites should be of interest to you. We want to make them better, and if uh, you're interested in reading lists or that sort of thing, everything is there. Although everybody is welcome to drop me a note too, if they have a question. And uh, it's great to be in your show. I've I've been an admirer of your work. And so it's great to meet you uh, over the Skype. And I appreciate your having me on.
1: Well, thank you, Lou. I really really appreciate the kind words. And I appreciate you taking the time, as I said, out of your day to come on and talk to me and not just to me, but to the many, many people out there listening my real focus I mean I, I talk to libertarians in many ways but I also want to talk to people who don't really see the things the way we do and, and there's so many different ways we can communicate that and communicate principles of liberty so I'm, I'm glad I was able to have you on to do just that and I wish you the best of luck in the future
0: thank you Mark, bye bye
1: thanks Lou. take care we'll be back after a little break hey guys, Mark Clare here lionsofliberty.com where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily we bring you the morning roar that's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of The Morning Roar where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media newsfeed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LinesOfLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, guys, I hope you've enjoyed my interview with Lou Rockwell. I know a lot of you guys out there are very familiar with him, familiar with his website, lourockwell.com. And a lot of you guys are familiar with a lot of the terms we use, like anarcho-capitalism, But I know there are also a lot of folks out there listening now that aren't familiar with this concept. And, you know, my goal is to create something, create a place where we can all kind of come together, both the initiated and the uninitiated, so to speak. And Lou and I spent a lot of time discussing the concept of anarcho-capitalism. And I can't really argue with Lou's principles necessarily when he describes anarcho-capitalism as a private property society, as a world without the initiation of violence. Now, there will always be some criminal elements in our society, some people that initiate violence against other people. But in our society, many of those criminal elements, theft, violence, are embodied in government. We see the government violating so many people's rights. We see the government throwing people in jail for owning a plant, for owning a certain substance, threatening to throw people in jail for not buying health insurance. You know, if I came and locked someone in my basement because they had something I didn't like, I would be a criminal, no doubt about it. But today, when the government doesn't, well, it's just the law, ma'am. And obviously, I'm opposed to that. Obviously, I'm opposed to criminal activity, whether it's from an individual or from individuals wearing the badge of government. I'm opposed to it across the board. My issue is more with the rhetoric. Now, Lou even said he's not against governance the idea of forming an organization as long as it's based on voluntary arrangements not just running around and saying we own this area of land and everyone that's in it is has to fall under our purview now my concern as i mentioned with lou is that if libertarians are just against everything government well that turns people away because most people like government at a basic level most people like having their local government, their local police, their local fire department, maybe their school board, their public school. And I might object to the way these things are funded. I definitely object to the way that these things are funded. They're funded coercively. But at the end of the day, I'm not opposed to the concept of people collectively, voluntarily deciding to have these things, deciding to have a government. Maybe some people won't want to call it a government, but either way, that is the concept of governance, the concept of creating a common body of law. Now, the way that's gone about in our our society is completely opposed to how it should be gone about in our society we have kind of areas of land that are at some point were declared to be under the purview of a certain government and that government can gets to set the laws for everybody within those boundaries well that's not right <laughs> that's what i'm against And we talked about winning people over and not just trying to shove things down people's throats. Well, I don't want to just shove anarchy down people's throats. I don't want to just say you can never have government. You can't have the structures you like because they're there for a reason. Society is structured in this way for a reason. And it's not because evil statist hobgoblins emerge from the netherworld and force it upon us. It's because most people want them. Most people want these structures at a very basic level. So my goal is to change the way people view each other, the way people view our interactions with our fellow man, the way people view the concept of rights, of crimes. What is a right? What is an individual right? What is a crime? These are the things we need to decide. Because right now it's all messed up. Right now it's a crime if you own a plant you own the wrong plant, or you don't own health insurance, or you don't fill out the right forms and your taxes. That's a crime too. People commit quote-unquote crimes every single day that should never be crimes in any remotely just society. We don't have a remotely just society. But I don't think it's because government exists. It's because people have bad ideas about what government should be. They have bad ideas about violence. (laughs) About how it should be used on our fellow man. And those are the ideas we need to change. Those are the ideas we need to focus on. That's what we do at lionsofliberty.com with some great friends of mine. At the end of the day... I want to have a conversation. I want to have a conversation about all this stuff. I didn't start this podcast. We didn't start our website to dictate the way the world should be. So if you disagree with anything you heard today, let me know. I'm not that scary. I'm easy to find. Mark, M-A-R-C at lionsofliberty.com. Drop me an email or come join the conversation at our brand new forum. If you're on Facebook, check it out. It's the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can either just search it or you can hit me up at that email, markmarc at lionsofliberty.com, and I'll get you in there. And of course, check us out on all our social media. Facebook, facebook.com slash liberty. Come tweet to us. I'm not nearly as active as I should be on Twitter. Come tweet at lionsofliberty.com. Find us on Google+. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher, listen to us on libertytalk.fm, at lrn.fm, the Liberty Radio Network. I could go on and on and on. There are so many ways to get in touch with us, to join this conversation. That's why I do this twice every single week, and that's why I'm going to keep doing it. That's why I'm going to keep doing it next week, next Tuesday. I'm going to be speaking with Julie Borowski, the token libertarian girl. She's been on this show before. Go check out our YouTube channel. She's got a lot going on. Then later in the week, I'm going to have Lions of Liberty contributor Brian McWilliams in here for the podcast edition of his regular column, Rand Paul Lusses and Minuses. That is a pun, folks. It is a bad pun, folks. But bad puns are fun sometimes. So Brian writes a weekly column dissecting Rand Paul, seeing what he's been up to, different statements he's made, breaking it down, giving his grades, and we're going to turn that, just like we did with John Odermat and Felony Friday, turning that into the Felony Report. We're also turning Brian's column into a podcast as well. Synergy, people. That's what it's all about. And until next week, Man, I'm feeling a little fired up today. Until next week, guys, I need you to live long and live free.
0: Head of Editing Mastery, John Dawkins.